Hello, and welcome to the Health in Europe podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bianchi. We've launched this podcast to bring you the latest on WHO's work in the European region. Our region is broad and diverse, from the mid-Atlantic and stretching as far as the Chinese border. We work with fascinating and driven individuals and groups. This podcast is about hearing their stories and how they might impact your day-to-day life. Conventional wisdom tells us that ageing populations demand more resources. Policymakers are faced with real dilemmas about how to keep health spending under control while ensuring people can still access healthcare. It's a policy issue that's caused plenty of headaches over the years. We recently spoke with Deborah Miranda, Communications Officer at the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies, about a webinar series on the economics of ageing. This wrapped up a few weeks ago, so we caught up with John Silas, who has been leading this work at the European Observatory. I started by asking for a quick reminder about what the Economics of Ageing webinar included. So, so this was, um, so maybe it's helpful actually to talk about the, um, the history of the, <clears throat> of this series. So we started this a few years ago, maybe in, in 2016 or 17. And the, the, the real motivation here was that we found that uh, every conference we went to, every presentation, every policy dialogue would start off with a discussion about how populations were aging. So, and that this was a problem. Um, you know, whether it was about health financing or health workforce. Um, and so it made us wonder, well, is this actually true? Is there really an evidence base for this? So we decided to create the Economics of Healthy and Active Aging series to do research on, on myths about population aging and how it affects economies, societies, um, and households. Um, and obviously our focus is on, is on the health system. And what we found is that most of the evidence on how aging affects um, uh, health health systems, how it affects economies, is is nuanced at best. And oftentimes, um, what we think we know about how aging affects these things is is not necessarily not necessarily accurate. So that was the main that was the main um, the main driver behind the series. It was really about myth busting. Um, and about understanding then once we were able to get past these myths and understand a bit more why, um, a, a bit, understand a bit more how aging affects uh, health systems and economies and societies, then we were able to shift towards understanding policies um, that countries are putting in place to support an older population. Great. That's really interesting about that kind of building up the evidence base and, and seeing, yeah, because I mean, you obviously hear a lot about population aging, but I guess... It's important to look into it as well. But um, uh, just returning to the webinar series that, that happened recently, what were some of the main themes that, that came out um, about these webinars and, and how we can fund healthcare for, for older generations? So, so we, we split the webinar series into three pieces. So um, we had a first webinar that was on aging and revenues, so where the money comes from for health. Um, and th- this one really focused on... Um, the myth of the, that an aging population is bad for the economy, and that this means, of course, that you'll have uh, a, a less productive labor force that will pay fewer taxes, and this will mean a smaller public sector. And of course, if you have fewer revenues, 
uh, for health, it, it, it suggests that the only solution is to, to, to cut back on spending. And so what we focused on in that webinar was really on, uh, well, is it true? Does an older population really mean that the economy is going to slow? And we presented some evidence showing that it's not so much the age of the population that matters, but really the health of that older population, especially the older workforce that matters for, uh, for the, uh, the, the, the relationship between aging and the economy. So if you have a healthy older workforce, you don't necessarily see these slowdowns in, in growth. But what we did focus on in that webinar was really that the countries that, that, of course, the countries that rely on labor markets to finance health, so countries where you pay uh, a social health insurance contribution um, and where this is the predominant source of financing, these countries could potentially face trouble over the next 20, 30 years as the labor market shrinks because of people leaving uh, the labor force due to retirement. In the second webinar, we focused on, the, so the first one is on the revenues. On the second one, we focused on expenditures and aging. Um, and of course, people assume that an older population will accelerate health expenditures because older people on average cost more to provide health to healthcare to than younger people. Um, and while that's true, uh, aging is really slow. And so so the population of the aging rather is, is very slow. And so if we look at how uh, an aging population affects health expenditure growth, how it, expect uh, how it affects trends over time, we actually see very little effects. So if, if your average country uh, health spending per person grows two, 3% per year, historically, uh, aging at the most will add maybe a half a percent of growth. So it's a very small component. Um, and so this idea that aging will, will accelerate health expenditure growth is, is really overblown. Um, and of, at the same time, much of this relationship between uh, aging, or sorry, the age uh, of, of, a, of a, an individual and health spending, uh, and the fact that older people, uh, spending on older people is generally higher on average than younger people, is due to the, the costs at the end of life. Um, so uh, uh, there's a huge difference at any age uh, in health spending, uh, between when you compare people who are in the last year or last six month of life compared to someone who survives the same period, uh, if you match them to someone very similar. Um, and so what that really, um, suggests is that if we want to, if we're still worried about this extra half a percent of growth due to aging over the next per year, over the next 20, 30 years, the, the focus of our attention should really be on care at the end of life and making sure that this is, is rational, that this is, um, care that is improving people's quality of life, that this isn't just sort of um, wasted, unnecessary spending that people and their families do not necessarily want. Um, and, and then the third webinar, so of course, like I mentioned at the beginning, the these, this series is really focused on myth-busting, and we've sort of come to this conclusion that the aging is not such a big deal for especially for health systems um, in terms of that it's it's a it's a, a manageable challenge it's not this sort of um, the silver tsunami as people like to refer to um, and so our big question in the third webinar is well why do we act like it's such a big problem if it's not and what can we do about it and this really focused our attention on on the politics of aging and and sort of the political economy factors that that drive decisions about um, policies that affect older people as well as younger people. Brilliant. Thank you, Dust. That's a really 
good overview of, of kind of the, yeah where it's come from and, and where it's headed I guess I mean um, and I think uh, when we spoke to Deborah recently as well she she made the point that um, kind of spending shouldn't be seen as you know it's not money wasted you're actually improving these people's quality of life which in turn has has kind of a, a longer term benefit as well um, uh, I mean in terms of kind of what what happened in the webinars themselves was there anything that particularly surprised you or any any examples that jumped out that that could inform future of this work sure um well in the webinar on expenditures we had some interesting discussion about the use of robots um for for looking after older people which i thought was really interesting um and unexpected but i think you know looking back at the whole the whole series and the webinars in general i think perhaps the most um surprising finding at least for me it came from the 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 work that's linked to the third webinar on the politics of aging and really this idea that um that the challenge you know i think one of the jumping off points for a lot of this work is this idea that there is sort of intergenerational conflict right between old and young um and that it's really the the differences between people by age that matter that sort of that fuel this conflict and that this is really you know it's you know, whether in some countries it seems as if older people get all of the policies that they want. Uh, in other countries, maybe older people are ignored and it's really younger people um, that are that are benefiting from benefiting from the welfare state. Um, but what, what I found most interesting is that the the inequalities within generations are are much larger in, in countries than they are across generations. So it's it's not to say that there's not conflict and there's not differences. There's not um, there aren't challenges that come from disparities, but they're not age related. They're income related. They're race related. They're gender related. This is really where the the bulk of the the inequalities that we see are. It's not so much an age thing. So just to make sure I've understood that correctly, so it's basically saying that addressing those inequalities earlier in life would actually have a better impact later in life as opposed to just putting all of your funding towards later life care is is that am i understanding that correctly no that's that's right and actually what, what we 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 talk about in the the book on the politics of aging is really about how these inequalities also contribute to of course they they contribute to inequalities in health but they ultimately contribute to inequalities in terms of who gets to be old so when we talk about aging i think our 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 uh, our tendency is to think that we're talking about older people, but really we should be thinking about the whole life course and that investments at all ages are really essential if we want people to age in good health. So not just to be, um, not just to focus our attention on people once they're already old, but we really need to pay attention to people at all ages if we want people to 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 age in good health. And brilliant. And um, I mean, you you mentioned at the start of this um, about you know how this kind of came about from a few years ago now that this kind of particular webinar series is finished what's what's next for the series what what can we expect to see so we have right now we're working on a book um uh on long-term care on making the case for long-term care for investments in long-term care and uh, here the idea here is that that we've noticed that while that there's obviously there's a disconnect between health systems and long-term care systems in many countries, even though I think people recognize that long-term care is a value. There's not as much attention, at least um, in, amongst the, the health policy community focused on long-term care. Um, and so we really wanted to to make the argument that investing in long-term care is has a lot of benefits, not just for the care recipients themselves, but also for economies, um, for health systems, 
for societies, for households. And so we really wanted to, to so the purpose of this book is really to show that, that actually when we think about long-term care, I think a lot of people um, think about this as, as, as uh, a sector for a very small portion of the population. But actually we should realize that there are a lot of spillovers um, and a lot of everyone stands to benefit from investments in long-term care. Um, so whether it's people being able to join the formal labor market because they're not at home caring for a family member, or whether it's um, in countries where there's um, means testing for long-term care so that people don't have to bankrupt themselves before they're eligible for some sort of um, some, some services. It's really about focusing our attention on that, you know, this is really long-term care matters for everybody. We're also... Uh, working on again making in 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 the through the lens of making the case for investments in in services for older people we're doing some work looking at um, at the the value of investing in health at older ages so of course if we look at health at you know the older working ages it's very easy to make a, a link an economic link to people being able to participate in the formal labor market and there's obviously there's something quantifiable there but once we get it to older ages people in their 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 80s late 70s and their 80s it's much harder of course to to show what the tangible um quantifiable benefit is and so what we're trying to do here is develop new metrics that allow us to see the benefit of good health at older ages. And so to do this, we're using time use data. So these are uh, surveys that countries do where they have people record how they spend every minute of their day over a full day or two day period. You can see the difference uh, between people at different ages that depend on their health status in terms of how they spend their time. And so this enables us to see, well, maybe an 85 year old in Bulgaria who's in good health, has a much more active life. They're able to see family. They're able to go out shopping. They're able to do gardening. They're able to volunteer. Whereas someone that's in poor health is spending much more time on regular activities of daily living. So maybe they spend much more time showering or they spend much more time um, getting ready for the day. And of course, this is there's 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 something to be said here for the, the, the quality of life that someone, of course, has at an older age that's maybe not necessarily quantifiable in economic terms. Um, but we're also trying to make that leap from the time use data to monetary values and understanding well, what's the value, what's the actual economic value of, of being in good health at an older ages based on the way you spend your time. So that's, that's upcoming work that, we're, 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 that we're, we're making progress on. That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess it could also even extrapolate out to say, you know, if you're in good health and you're, you're older age, are you going to start traveling and, and seeing things and spending money and, and doing things like that, I guess, right? So it's, uh, yeah. That's, it's, that's it's right. And the, no, and, and just to say on, on that point, you know, there's, um, we were, I think it was for the EU presidency of Finland a few years ago, and there was a lot of interest in the so-called silver economy. Um, because, of course, older people, especially in, in, um, in higher income countries, they accumulate a lot of assets assets over the course of their life, and so this is a time when they are they are dissaving, they are spending down those assets, and so of course if they're active and they're able to be out and spending money, then this is obviously has a beneficial effect for the economy, and it's not necessarily uh, as easy to quantify as 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 something like labor, which is I think where we think, you know, normally when we think about about um, People, we think about them from a production perspective. That they are, you know, are they 
are they in the producing phase of their life? And so children, you know, even when we think about something like a dependency ratio, this is really looking at the size of the working age population relative to the size of the population at, uh, uh, that are children and that are over the traditional working age. Um, and this is because we think about the working ages they are producing and the, the others are just consuming. And so it's important to recognize that consuming also has important economic value as well. And so this is, this is really, you know, this gets back to the heart of what we're trying to shed light on, which is that, you know, aging obviously um, implies changes in health systems, implies changes in economies, it implies changes in all these things. But they don't necessarily mean, the, you know, the, the, it's, not a, it's not a disaster. It's really, these are, these are, these are, uh, manageable challenges that can be dealt with through policy interventions. That's all we have time for. Special thanks to John for speaking with us. If you'd like to find out more about the Economics of Aging series, visit the European Observatory's website, that's eurohealthobservatory.who.int, or check out the links in the show notes. Make sure to leave us a rating, and if you like what you've heard, recommend us to a friend or a colleague. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.